Welcome to this EHIV Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of EHIV Review. Our guest today is Dr. Jill Blumenthal, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases and Global Public Health at the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. And we're here to talk about how the concept of U equals U, an undetectable HIV viral load equals untransmittable HIV virus, about how that can impact clinical practice. EHIV Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated and Merck and Company Incorporated. Learning objectives for this audio program include assess the need for PrEP in serodiscordant MSM couples and discuss some of the limitations of the U equals U data in clinical practice. Dr. Blumenthal has disclosed that she has served as a principal investigator for Gilead Sciences Incorporated. She's indicated that there will be no references to the unlabeled or unapproved uses of any drugs or products in today's discussion. Dr. Blumenthal, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me today. U equals U, an undetectable HIV viral load equals untransmittable HIV virus. In your recent newsletter issue, you analyze the current evidence strongly supporting this concept. What I'd like to do today is go a step further and discuss how that information can be applied to clinical practice. So start us out, if you would, please, doctor, with a patient scenario. Here we have a 24-year-old MSM in a three-month monogamous relationship with an HIV-positive man on HIV medication with an undetectable viral load for three years who comes to discuss HIV prevention strategies. How do you begin this kind of conversation with a patient? When I meet a patient either for the first or second and subsequent visits who is asking about HIV prevention, a really important part of that is taking a sexual history that is complete but also doesn't take a very long time to do, which can be a challenge in clinical medicine. A sexual history that's complete but that can also be done rapidly. How do you do that, doctor? What kind of things do you need to know? I want to know what kind of sexual activities a patient is engaging in. That way, I have a sense of what sorts of behaviors they are engaging in and what sorts of risks they are taking. An important part of that is who are their partners, what types of sex they're having in terms of positions, what genitalia is being used in what holes, the next Part might be about condom use and other strategies for protection. I would also ask them about numbers of partners. Are they in a closed relationship? Is it open? Do they play with other people? Those sorts of things when I'm dealing with someone who specifically comes in already has in mind that he wants to talk about HIV prevention. That helps me a great deal in terms of which way to go but I still need to get more information at that point. So now this patient has come in to discuss HIV prevention strategies, which means you'll be talking about PrEP. I try to talk about PrEP with any patient that I meet, but especially one who is coming in to talk about HIV prevention. And how does that conversation flow? Where I usually begin is by asking all individuals that I come into contact with, but it is essential for gay and bisexual men to understand PrEP basics. So I usually start by asking what the patient knows, what his experiences have been, if he's taken PrEP before, if it's something that he is interested in doing now. 
after getting that information from the patient, I like to understand what the motivations for taking PrEP are. There are many misconceptions and misunderstandings for why PrEP is used. And I'd like to make sure that patients do understand the reason that they want to take it. I want to understand that reason as well to make sure that it does make sense. Makes sense. How? For example, someone who 100% of the time uses condoms, but states that they don't use condoms for oral sex. So they just use condoms for anal intercourse. That would not be an appropriate candidate for PrEP, and they just might not know about the risks associated with oral sex versus anal sex. And that's something that I could help to inform them about. Oftentimes for patients, they will bring up a relationship that they're having where they want to use PrEP, and it could be that there actually are other partners or they have concerns that they're not addressing when they bring up PrEP, like they've experienced a lot of condom breakages in the past, or they know that they're monogamous now, but they may be opening up the relationship, and that might be a reason that they want to go on PrEP. If it is, in fact, the case that it is a person that is truly in a monogamous relationship with an individual who's HIV positive, taking medications, and is undetectable, then we have more to discuss in terms of the data regarding undetectable equals untransmittable, and that becomes a longer conversation. Tell us about that longer conversation, if you would, please. In the right situation, a monogamous relationship, partner is HIV positive, on art with an undetectable viral load, how do you transition from PrEP to U equals U? So I'm usually pretty frank about that with patients. I usually begin just by saying, have you heard of U equals U or undetectable equals untransmittable? And then I go from there. If a patient has heard of it, I ask them what they think it means. And if they have not, I explain what it means in terms of the fact that an HIV positive person who is taking medications and has an undetectable viral load cannot transmit HIV to their partner, or that risk is essentially zero. So once I've made sure that they understand what U equals U is, or at least have a basic definition, I then go back to whether their wanting to be on PrEP is related to, in this case, what this patient came in for, which was related to a new partnership with an HIV-positive person taking meds and is undetectable. If it is about more than that, if there are, like I said, other partners or the prospect of other partners, then PrEP may be a very good option for this patient, and we would talk about that more. If it is, in fact, about that relationship that they came in to discuss, then I usually at that point bring in the basics of the studies that have been conducted just to hammer home the point that U equals U. So I usually say that data from four big study results have shown that thousands of serodiscordant couples having thousands of sexual transmission events resulted in no linked transmissions, meaning that no person who is HIV positive and undetectable passed that infection to their partner. And I usually let that sink in. Patients seem to get that that's really big. We usually say together, wow, that's so amazing. 
And then we go from there in terms of, do we need to return to the discussion of PrEP and why a patient thinks they would continue to benefit from it? There are situations, and I'm sure you've encountered them, where patients say they understand what undetectable equals untransmittable means. But how do you think that plays out clinically? What's your experience been? It's a very interesting predicament, but I think we see this in medicine all the time, where patients literally can read something, understand that a study has been conducted, and these are the results, but they don't think the results apply to them exactly. So similarly with this, there have been studies that have shown that even if people understand what treatment as prevention means, meaning a person who's positive takes medications and they are virally undetectable, there is still some fear around that person who is HIV and can I get that virus? Can I contract HIV? I know that the science says this. I realize that, but I don't want to take that risk in case there is that chance that the science is wrong. And that makes it so that what is very clear and obvious to physicians may not be what a patient wants to do. One final question, Dr. Blumenthal, on this aspect of U equals U. Let's assume a patient comes to you and you perceive that patient to be a very low risk for HIV transmission. What's your approach to keeping that patient safe? So that can be tricky. Of course, you know, what patients tell you may not be exactly what is going on. That being said, if I do think that a patient is at low risk, but still wants added levels of HIV prevention, including PrEP, I always err on the side of caution. So if a patient is asking for PrEP, even though I don't think it's necessarily needed, such as in the case we described with the partner who cannot transmit I'd still probably provide it until I knew the patient better and had seen them in follow-up where we could discuss if there'd been any changes to practices, if they still felt the same way, if their comfort had grown with their partner, et cetera. So usually I am more generous and I'd like people to feel safe from the start. In addition, for those at low risk, but also those at high risk, What we want to make sure as providers is that patients keep coming back because even if they're at low risk now, they may not be at low risk in a few months. And how do we make it so that they keep coming in to see us for their three-month or six-month follow-up for HIV prevention, either with or without PrEP? What I've tended to do in my practice is talk to patients each time I see them about their insurance, any co-pays any difficulties getting into the clinic, any problems with having to leave work or getting to the clinic in general so that we can figure out how we can keep getting them in regardless of where they are with PrEP or not PrEP and current partners or future partners. Well, thank you for that case and discussion, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Jill Blumenthal from UC San Diego in just a moment. Thank you for listening to this EHIV Review Podcast. If you're unfamiliar with our program, we're a combination newsletter and podcast continuing educational series. We're available online without cost or prerequisite. EHIV Review newsletters are published every other month. Each issue focuses on a specific area of importance in the care of patients with HIV and is authored by an expert clinician who reviews the current literature and provides commentary. 
In the month following each newsletter, a case-based podcast discussion, like the one you've been listening to, brings that expert perspective to translating the new information into clinical practice. Continuing education credit for EHIV Review is jointly provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information about EHIV Review, please go to our website, ehivreview.org. Welcome back to this EHIV Review Podcast. We've been speaking with Dr. Jill Blumenthal from the Division of Infectious Diseases and Global Public Health at UC San Diego about the concept of U equals U, an undetectable viral load equals untransmittable HIV virus, and how that can impact clinical practice. So keep us in that clinical mode, if you would please, doctor, and bring us another patient scenario. Here we have a 35-year-old prep-experienced bisexual man who presents for the treatment of rectal discharge and seeks post-exposure prophylaxis after anal sex with a casual HIV-positive partner who reports an undetectable viral load. So now this is a little bit more of a challenging case. Uh, Just to make sure we're not losing anybody, we're now talking about post-exposure prophylaxis, PEP, PEP. So I thought this was important to talk about because we do see patients who are not taking PrEP, even though they may have been on it at some point, and need post-exposure prophylaxis, which is for individuals to take within 72 hours of a potentially risky exposure. How do you determine the need for PEP? We, as providers, usually like to try to understand what the actual act was. Like the case from before, if someone had a condomless oral exposure act, we would not recommend using PEP. But if we're talking about most anal and vaginal exposures from a non-occupational PEP perspective, it's recommended that PEP is given. What do the current guidelines recommend? We start it when, again, the act has occurred within 72 hours of them presenting to the doctor. And in the CDC guidelines from 2016, it's recommended that a three-drug regimen is used, which includes the combination of emtricitabine and tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate plus an integrase inhibitor. And it's done for 20 days. There is a slight nuance now after some data that came out last year regarding possible neural tube defects in women of reproductive potential that in individuals in those situations, we might not use the medication dolutegravir. But when you go to look up these guidelines, if you're looking at the CDC, it's pretty clear what you need to use. The most important thing is that it's within 72 hours of an exposure where HIV risk could have been conferred and it is taken for a complete 28 days. So let's put this in the context of U equals U. Uh, The current literature, what does it say about using PEP when the partner is HIV positive and virally suppressed? So again, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. When you look at the guidelines, it actually shows if you know where the exposure comes from. And it says if they're HIV positive, you would treat someone. It does not say if they're HIV positive and in parentheses, but taking medications and is virally suppressed, what to do. So this is where providers are going to vary a little bit in what they decide to do. 
a lot of the time, it will depend on what actually is known of the partner. If someone presents and says, this is my partner of 20 years, I've been with him through his HIV care, he takes his medications perfectly, I just wanted to know what you think. I think many physicians would say, you're absolutely fine, no worries. Oftentimes, the source patient is not known or may not be as well known as that. And in that case, a lot of providers would, again, err on the side of caution, giving patients 28 days of medications to complete post-exposure prophylaxis. The other good part about getting someone on PEP is that it is a great segue into PrEP. And that's a practice that a lot of providers engage in, which is what we call PEP to PrEP. PEP to PrEP. Explain it a little more, if you would, please. This is someone who had been on PrEP before. It's unclear why they're not currently. Maybe they weren't at risk anymore. Maybe they had lost their insurance or something to that effect. But now getting them started on PEP, which is probably the right way to go if there is less known about the source patient and not enough information from the literature to support not giving it, it would be a great way to begin them and then move them over to PrEP. So to follow up, a patient successfully completes PEP, 28 days of medication, no detectable infection, and now that patient asks you about taking PrEP, how does that conversation go? Right. It's good that if the patient brings it up, even better, less work for us, because it is something that we would want to investigate here. And the question again is, is it related to this partner that they are bringing up? They said that it was a casual positive partner who reported an undetectable viral load, In that case, again, those are just reports. So if someone is saying, this is what I think about a partner, but I'm not really sure, that would absolutely be a good reason to want to use PrEP. Now, if it's someone that they feel more confident about, it's something that they see this headed towards more of a monogamous relationship, then again, you might get back into that U equals U data. And again, we would go into that conversation as we discussed before about what is an undetectable viral load in a partner mean to you? You know, I would ask that of a patient and where their comfort is with that. The interesting thing is that there are a lot of people in the sexually active gay and bisexual community who are very well aware of U equals U, and many feel more comfortable having sexual encounters with individuals who are HIV positive, taking their medications, and are undetectable. So this may be a person where this is what they ultimately know and feel comfortable with, but obviously you're not going to know until you discuss it with them. One more question on this patient, doctor. He came in with a rectal STI. Uh, What effect, if any, does that have on your management? So first off, you want to test and treat this person the way you would for any rectal STI. When this comes back to the U equals U data, we actually don't have an answer to this either in terms of does this affect the person's risk of HIV transmission. We do know that there is an upper 95% confidence interval limit in individuals with STI, which makes looking at our certainty of whether HIV is transmitted less certain. So we don't know exactly what this data means, and it's another area that would benefit from future studies. Thank you for sharing your insights, Dr. Blumenthal, on today's cases and discussion. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing our key takeaway points as they apply to our learning objectives. So our first objective, 
Assessing the need for PrEP in serodiscordant MSM couples. What are the most important things for clinicians to be aware of? First, taking a complete sexual history is essential to determining what HIV and STI prevention strategies should be discussed and recommended. Second, providers need to assess patient reasons for wanting to take PrEP and then correct any misconceptions or misunderstandings about the use of PrEP that may exist. Finally, patients at low risk for HIV acquisition may still ask for PrEP, and it's important for clinicians to know how to counsel them, bringing in the U equals U data to the discussion to determine if PrEP is actually needed. And our other learning objective, the limitations of the U equals U data in clinical practice. Doctor? It's important for clinicians overall to be aware that there is a lack of data in the U equals U studies in certain clinical situations. The ones that we discussed here were when to use PEP and when a patient has an STI and how that affects the risk of HIV transmission. As a result, until there is more scientific evidence, which is absolutely needed, decisions to rely solely on treatment as prevention as opposed to using PEP or PrEP will be provider-dependent and should be patient-specific. From the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Diego, Dr. Jill Blumenthal, thank you for participating in this EHIV Review podcast. Thanks, Bob, for having me. For EHIV Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ehivreview.org. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the EHIV Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME-CE credit, available online to clinicians treating patients with HIV. This activity has been developed for primary care physicians, NPs, PAs, nurses, HIV specialists, OBGYNs, infectious disease physicians, and others involved in the care of patients with HIV. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the accreditation requirements and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, through the joint providership of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should only claim the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register, please go to our website, ehivreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. EHIV Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated and Merck and Company Incorporated. 
This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine.